everyone. Welcome to this edition of The Agronomist. I am your host, Lindsay Smith. And shout out to Ray jumping in here early in the comment section from a very chilly and wet Calgary. And I will tell you, uh, the nation's capital, kind of similar, uh, but it's sweater weather, if you will. And uh, I refuse to turn on the furnace until Thanksgiving. Everybody can wear slippers and a lot of wool sweaters until Thanksgiving. But I'm not in Calgary. It's probably going to snow. I'll be honest. Okay. So yes, thanks to everyone for joining us tonight. This is uh, it's going to be a good episode. We've done a lot of prep. My guest tonight understood the assignment, sent some amazing photos that we're going to get through to talk about fall weed control. But of course, want to remind everyone uh, for watching the broadcast. Of course, you can submit uh, your name for those CU credits if you collect them. So head on over to realagriculture.com slash agronomist tomorrow morning. We'll have the episode up and ready and you'll be able to get those. And then, of course, uh, we do have a shout out to our show sponsors as well. So we do say a big shout out and thank you to Adama Canada, to Decisive Farming and the Soybean School. Uh, While other sources of innovation run dry, Adama is here to deliver, leveraging the world's largest library of actives to provide innovative crop protection solutions to your greatest challenges. We're all in on you. Talk to your Adama sales rep today. Okay. Into the show we go. And yes, we are talking about fall weed control and several different angles of it. So this is going to be a good one. And join me tonight on the broadcast. We have Jason Vogt out of Manitoba and Rob Miller with BASF out of Ontario. Welcome here, gents. Thank you. Well, I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Okay. So as I mentioned, the two of you did understand the assignment. We have some great visuals that we're going to get to, which is fantastic. Uh, so thank you for that. Before we dive into some of the key questions, I do want to remind everyone in the comments, let us know which weed you are having a particular problem with trying to control. Tonight, we are going to try and touch on the big ones, of course, uh, dandelion, sow thistle, but fleabane, palmer amaranth, water hemp, all of those as well. So uh, let's get into it though. Rob, we'll start with you down in Southern Ontario. How is the crop shaping up? Well, I think kind of like what we talked about in the summer, it's variable. Um, you know, Guelph area, where I'm from, where I live, it's the corn crops are already starting to die down. Um, it's firing up. It's uh, silage started two weeks ago, and it's uh, not really uh, the bumper crop. But as we move south, further along the lakes, they caught a few more rains. And overall, it's not too bad. There's still a lot of variability there, but... Uh, mm -hmm. But for the most part, we should be okay. There's a lot of disease actually starting to show up here in the last uh, three, four weeks, which is interesting. So, but that's not yeah. the topic for tonight. <laughs> well, but I mean, it, it plays into every conversation when we talk this yeah. time of year, because I was going to ask, uh, yes, the first silage fields are starting to come off. Any indication on dawn levels? Uh, right now, nothing yet. Um, but, okay. you know, I think we still have a few more, a uh, few more weeks and it all depends on the weather, obviously. And uh, it's, yeah. it's if we continue to get these warm temperatures, then we might see some elevated levels later on as, as harvest strikes on. Okay. It's always sort of that first indication that we might be into yep. a problem with green crops. So we'll keep tabs on that. So at this point, I'm going to say no news is good news, but nobody quote me on that. All right. Jason, uh, <laughs> in Manitoba, untimely yeah. rain recently. I know that yeah. people, people have been trying to harvest. And also I'm hearing that harvest is almost like completely out of order. Like the crops you would normally do first, not getting done, moving on. Yeah, What's going on? It is, exactly. It is kind of all over the board. We had a good stretch here of a couple of weeks where we did cover a lot of ground. But, you know, because of the late seeding and guys having to kind of pick and choose which fields to seed because it was basically based on when they dried up. Um, okay. We've got everything from canola coming off to still a lot of wheat and oats to take off. Even uh, a lot of dry beans have come off now too. And, uh, but we also have, you know, soybeans that are just about ready to come off. And yet there's wheat that still has to come off. So it's all, it is all over the board. And we had anywhere from three quarters of an inch to in some areas, three inches just here this past weekend. So it's definitely slowed us down, slowed us down with soil sampling as well. But mm -hmm. looking back on the challenges of the spring and everything in this summer, some pretty good yields have been taken off so um but there is a long ways to go i would say we're probably in general in south central manitoba 
all crops included, all areas included, probably were at maybe, yeah, maybe 55% harvested. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. So lots to do yet and need the yep. weather to cooperate for sure. Uh, which, of course, brings us to our next or to tonight's topic, which is fall weed control. And I'm going to start with, we. I often think about fall weed control as, you know, well into the fall and after crops come off. But, of course, there is some considerations for weed control that happen in crop with a pre-harvest pass. So I want to not dwell a lot on it, but both of you, of course, deal with soybeans, edible beans, uh, one of those crops that we typically might be heading over with a pre-harvest pass. So Rob, I'll go to you first, um, just quickly on if farmers are choosing or agronomists are are saying, yes, let's go in with a pre-harvest pass, what do they need to remember as far as timing? Yep. So forget about the leaves, focus on the pods. So it's when 90% of the pods have changed color and when the pods have actually changed to brown. And you, when you open it up, you want them to actually, the seeds to actually rattle inside. And you're always better to apply a little bit on the later side. Be fashionably late instead of being applied too early because we don't want to have those, uh, those residues in the grain. So forget about the leaves. Everyone focuses too much on the leaves. Focus mm-hmm. just on the pods. Okay, good advice. Um, okay, now Jason... When when you're talking about Manitoba, I mean, the window for fall weed control is somewhat more compressed than, say, yeah. Ontario. I mean, you're really based on, you don't need hot days, but you still need uh, some warmth, obviously, to get good control into October, those sorts of things. Has the increase in, in soybeans, the inclusion of edible beans, has that helped with fall weed control because there's more of a pre-harvest inclination with those crops? There definitely is, but I think it also comes back to, you know, our, our seeding dates in general. Last year we were drought and then we started getting rains in August and September and we had a very open fall. So there was a lot of regrowth or new growth, which gave us the opportunity to do a lot of uh, post-harvest. This year we're going to, those crops do help with that, but I think it comes back to frost when we get a frost. And so far we've been able to miss it here. And it doesn't look like there's anything forecasted for this month. Um, But our compressed window that we normally look at is even more compressed this year because we have so much crop that is still coming off yet. We have the moisture now to continue to see, you know, volunteers and weeds recover and grow. But it's going to be a real tight window and opportunity for guys to be able to manage that when they're still trying to harvest too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So now Rob sent uh, an image. Producer Jay, if you could bring up the, the last one he sent, which is the corn. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And because this, this further to sort of Jason's point about the compressed window after the crop comes off. Rob, why? So what are we looking at here and why does this matter when we're talking fall weed control? Yeah, so th- this was uh, this photo was taken September 2nd, as you can see, and uh, this is in North of Guelph area, uh, where we had a little bit more drought. And what I like about this photo is look at how much sunlight is actually hitting that, hitting that ground. Um, the leaves have already dropped because of the drought. You know, this is going to be an earlier harvest in, in this field. We're probably looking at maybe only 120, 140 bushel corn tops. Um, and, you know, now that the rains have started to come, especially in the last, you know, say four weeks or so, um, too too late to save the crop. But now, especially this field, it's heavy in chickweed. And chickweed is one of those, you know, um, fall emerging weeds that can, tends to grow once it hits a little bit of sunlight, gets a little bit of moisture. So I wanted, want some of the viewers to actually focus on this. And when you're actually out there scouting some of the fields, maybe looking for dawn, um, you can actually see how much sunlight is actually hitting the ground because your crop competition is actually your best method of weed control. So whether it's cover crop, whether it's the actual crop, but corn is wider rows, lots of sunlight hitting the ground. And that's where we're going to start to see some of these, uh, some of these fall germinating weeds and maybe not just fall germinating weeds. And I know we're going to get into it a little bit more, but something like water hemp, uh, it'll actually still germinate this time of year and only takes about two weeks to set seed. So, you know, um, we're seeing this a lot in a lot of our in a lot of our fields. So um, we're in those areas that you know the sandy knolls where you didn't really get uh, you know good crop canopy, um, or you're in those drought areas. This is one where one area that you have to look at in terms of fall weed control, especially with some of those problem weeds. Yeah. So yeah, so two things. 
I, that I pick up on there, Rob, I mean, you did say fall emerge weeds. So of course, when we talk fall weed control, we're often talking about perennials or winter annuals, those, but as we're going to talk yep. about, and we may as well get the ball rolling on water hemp here, there are also weeds that are somewhat adaptive or mm -hmm. seem to germinate several times a year. So, so Jason, I'll go to you. Water hemp certainly has been an Ontario <clears throat> problem, but increasingly it's a Manitoba problem, a Western Canada problem. Uh, Jay, if you can bring up um, the one of, yeah, found in the field. So, so here, this is found in a yard. So what's the story of this water hemp showing up? Yeah, so this is actually the uh, yard I lived on until just recently moving into Carmen. And uh, we have two trailers that I had from field to field that I had parked in the corner. And I was going to uh, move one of them. So just before I was hooking the trailer up, I noticed, you know, lots of pigweed around, but then it just stood out. There was there is a water hemp plant here in my yard. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, there's a lot of wildlife around. So there is still that opportunity for turkeys, whatever else. But what really kind of struck me was it was right next to these trailers. So there is definitely the opportunity where I could have, we could have picked up the seed on those trailers, going from field to field, backing up into approaches, could have easily picked up something there. So it's not just harvesting equipment or tillage equipment, but even things like this, what we're doing, like it could have, it could have picked it up on the side by side and then it came off, you know, off the trailer and then the trailer onto the, into the yard. So it, it looked very suspect, but it's just showing how adaptable this, this weed is and then how easy it is to transfer it around. And we're seeing that because we've already been picking up on a lot more plants and fields this fall and soybean fields mainly and in areas where we haven't had it before. Mm -hmm. It This makes me think about how a mechanic's car is always the one that still broke down. Is it the same for agronomists when they have nasty weeds in their yard? Yeah, um, yeah. that's why I don't plant a garden because it that's would right. just go to weeds yeah. and every time. I, I'm the yard that yeah. has all the dandelions in it even yes. though it's supposed to be, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're the biodiversity. That's that's what you're adding to the whole mix. No. Yeah. Um, just gravel all of it, have a big fire pit, you're fine. Okay. Um, okay, so yeah, so on water hemp, uh, producer Jay, I'm gonna go to the clip. Uh, this is with Peter Sikama. Um, we've mentioned here a few times, or you've mentioned Jay Jason about it moving. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we also have, of course, we have quite a bit of resistance within the population here in Ontario as well. So this is Peter Sikama. Uh, talking about water hemp. Um, now, Peter, you did some great reports on water hemp this summer for the Ontario Diagnostic Day series. Can you describe um, herbicide-resistant water hemp for us? When farmers find it in their fields, what are they up against? Yeah, and so every field is different, Bernard. And so the uh, resistance can be just uh, resistance to glyphosate. And then you could have other populations that are resistant to the group two, group five, group nine, and 14 herbicides. And it's any combination of those four different herbicide families that could occur on any farm in Ontario with water hemp. Talk about, I guess, the weed itself, uh, Peter, a highly adaptable, um, a long emergence pattern. I mean, it's it's not something you just go spray and, and take care of. Yeah, uh, water hemp is, is an amazing weed. It's a dioecious species. So that means that you have separate male and female plants. And what's really important about that in terms of herbicide resistance is that you have huge genetic diversity within water hemp. And because of that, you have the potential for genes that confer resistance to a wide variety of herbicide modes of action. Yeah. Hey, talk about, I guess, that resistance now. Um, you know, glyphosate-resistant water hemp first identified in Ontario 24 2014, how was it spread? Give us a snapshot. Yeah, and so I think water hemp moves in various ways across the uh, province. Uh, you're absolutely right. 
Alls that we knew in 2014 that was that there was one field in the southwestern corner of Lambton County with glyphosate resistant water hemp in the six growing seasons. So from 2014 to 2019, uh, glyphosate resistant water hemp is now found in 13 Ontario counties. And it is uh, suggested or thought that it moves on contaminated equipment. Really interesting, one of the fields where we found glyphosate resistant water hemp was adjacent to a John Deere dealership and where they brought in combines to be repaired and cleaned where they washed off the cement pad adjacent to the John Deere dealership. That's where the neighboring farmer found glyphosate resistant water hemp. I think uh, we have pictures where we're very confident that water hemp was introduced into new fields on contaminated equipment, whether tillage equipment or on uh, combines. Really interesting, there's a field along the Grand River where the only place where there's water hemp on the farm is where the Grand River overflowed its banks and it deposited water hemp in the uh, soybean field. Dr. Peter Sikama getting just a little controversial there. Okay, um, just quickly as we come back here to talk water hemp, a shout out, of course, to our show sponsors tonight, uh, to Adama Canada, to Soybean School, and to Decisive Farming by Telus Agriculture. Your soil has a unique story at Decisive Farming by Telus Agriculture. We get that. See the bigger picture by digging into your field's performance today. Remember, ROI is only a portion of the equation. Visit decisivefarming.com. Okay, so. Rob, I'm going to start with you. What the heck do we do with water hemp? Because to me, it sounds like like we've got group two, five, nine, 14, sometimes multiples. Um, what the heck? Are we hand roguing? Because it sounds kind of dire. What are we doing? Yeah, it, it's, um, well, and just to add to that, I'm, I can't remember how old that clip is, but we also have group 27 resistance and Great. group and cool. um, group 27 and five combinations. And it's not just an Ontario issue, um, Quebec, um, Eastern Ontario, we're seeing it a lot more. Um, Quebec along the North shore and the sh South shore, uh, that continues to spread in that region. So I'm actually surprised how, how quickly it's been spreading in Quebec. Um, but you know, just like can of flea bane, once you teach people how to identify it, once you start looking for it, you find it everywhere. So it pretty much is, mm -hmm. uh, is everywhere. And I think, you know, we still got to use multiple modes of effective action but um i think it, jason said it on a on a couple uh shows ago and hopefully i don't steal your line jason but we're not going to spray our way out of resistance um you know hopefully you weren't, you weren't planning on saying that this this time but uh but i agree with that 100 percent. you gotta you gotta take that integrated pest management approach so herbicides in conjunction with cover crops crop canopy is still going to be your best means of weed control and crop canopy throughout the entire season because like we mentioned, you know, even though it's an annual weed, it can germinate throughout the entire year. And and it's already going to be resistant to the next herbicide modes of action that we're going to be developing over the future. So, you know, what what can we do? And, and I think the best way is to have herbicides with residual activity on it, have it at planting, but also use the layering approach. So use uh, okay. residuals at planting, but also residuals in crop and overlapping modes of action. Because the thing is with water hemp is it has so many different growing points. And yeah. when you have one weed that's emerging, that's only one growing point. Whereas when you have a, a two inch tall water hemp, it has usually six to nine different growing points. Once you get up to four or five inch tall, there's 30 different growing points. And these contact herbicides that, that we tend to rely on for post-emerge activity have to come into contact with every single one of those growing points. So if we yeah. get the the number one growing point as it comes out of the ground, that is probably going to be the best way to uh, to manage it with some of the, the soil applied residual herbicides. So Jason, he stole your your line. Sorry, Jason. But... That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. It's, I probably shamed world that from someone else and anyways, because I'm not smart enough to come up with things like that. So, and I think I know who that was. Her, um, her name yeah. is Tammy Jones. 
So So now, but I mean, Rob also makes the point that when you're looking for it, you find it. And so this was one of my questions to you before we even went live was, you know, where, where do we find water hemp in Manitoba? And even, you know, in your case, once you know what you're looking for, you're going to start finding it really. But if you don't know what you're looking for, it can kind of hide as something else. No, exactly. So, I mean, a lot of people would look at, we had, we've had a lot of weed escapes this year. So there's a lot of weeds coming through canola, coming through soybeans and, uh, and even the cereals as well. So um, a pigweed looks like a pigweed to most people, unless they're actually looking for, you know, the height, the, uh, the, the, the length and diameter of that anther, something that would look suspect and then going out and actually looking at it. Um, the other thing too is um, we're hearing a lot more reports of it around the river, the Red River, because it was mass, pretty major flooding there this year, and yeah. that's a great opportunity for it to to spread as well. Yeah, I will note we just put up I think today a soybean school on soybean cyst nematode, especially in Manitoba, and that also can spread through floodwaters. Yeah. So thank you, America. Anyway, just kidding. What are you going to do? It's biology, but. But this is, you know, this is one of those unfortunate consequences of movement of soil, maybe birds, um, but also flood water. What are you going to do? So um, Kara makes the point. It's like when you buy a new vehicle, you suddenly see that vehicle everywhere. Yes. So please, everyone, if you're out scouting fields and you see something that maybe you think is pigweed, but doesn't quite look right, figure out what water hemp is and go looking for it. Um, and yes, we'll talk about Palmer Amaranth maybe as well. Uh, but Jason, right now in Manitoba, water hemp, not a huge issue, but definitely on the radar. Um, what would you say, I mean, for your clients anyway, what's the sort of awareness level in trying to keep ahead of it because of all these resistance modes? Yeah. And the main thing is to, uh, you know, that we're finding it and, you know, we're letting them know that we're finding it in more areas now. Uh, RMF Gray, where I mostly work, yeah. um, that's where I found that one plant in that soybean field. And I actually found another one in that same field today. Obviously, I wasn't looking hard enough. And mm-hmm. there's various ways it could have got there. So it is spreading and we have to understand. And so the message to our grower is, you know, you have to be proactive in this weed and understand, you know, its biology and the fact that it, it could be there. Cause we know there's other areas where it is and people are just not reporting it, even though they may know it's there. And so now is the time, or even actually yesterday was the time to start incorporating what Rob said about multiple modes of action layering. I still have growers that have, they're growing extend uh, trait genetic soybeans, but they're only spraying glyphosate. They're not using that system using because they're, the yep. they're, they're afraid yeah. of drift, afraid of this thing, but all I can see is that we need to be doing something here. Even if you're not using that extend system, put something else on. Uh, there's multiple other products you can use in soybeans like Authority Supreme, Viraxor. I had a lot of success with Viraxor this year. These are all pre-emerges that require moisture to activate. But, you know, we need to get into that habit of utilizing not just the pre-emerges in corn, but in soybeans as well. For sure. Um, Absolutely. And really, I think in the past, I'm going to say 10 years, I mean, we've, the conversation of pre-emerge really has it, you know, for 10 years ago, let's say it wasn't really talked about all that much uh, beyond, right? But often it's sort of come back into our everyday conversations because we're dealing with some really tough to kill weeds. So I want to switch gears a little because we can't, talk fall weed control without talking about dandelion. Um, There's just, there's no way around her. They come in the spring, they go sleepy, sleepy, you forget about them. And then they rear their ugly head again in the fall. And um, everyone that I know anyway, tries or wants to kill them sometime in like early June, which is not the time to be trying to kill dandelion. So Rob, you've got some good images, I think that show the persistence of this weed and, and how costly a mist can be. producer jay the dandelion strip i think we've got two years so rob walk us yep. through what we're looking at here once uh 
Yep. Okay. So, so dandelions, so yeah, Lindsay, like you said, you know, once they start flowering in, you know, middle of May, depending on where you are, first part of June, you know, everyone thinks, okay, yep, we got to, we got to go out and control it. And the main thing is with perennial weeds at this time of year, you know, it's taking all the energy from the leaves and putting it, translocating it down into the roots. Where in the springtime, it's the, the energy flow is the opposite way. It's going from the, the roots and going upwards into the leaves. So when it comes to herbicides, herbicides are just along for the ride. So it's easy to go along the flow of nutrients this time of year from the leaves down into the roots and get much better kill of some of these perennial weeds. So the south thistles, the dandelions, um, maybe even some wild carrot in there as well. Um, you know, that that's we get much better activity uh, in the fall than we do in the springtime. And producer Jay, I think there's uh, one of my first ones there as well that shows the uh, the sprayer miss of the of the the dandelions uh the previous one so this is a, a nice uh a nice photo that was taken by one of our sales reps richard anderson and down in essex um this field was actually after soybeans was actually sprayed on november 18th so that wow. wasn't actually a spray mist the boom actually froze so it was it was that cold <laughs> and you can actually That's see amazing. it kind of plugged in and it left some yeah, nice beautiful yeah. check strip throughout the entire yeah. field and one thing is, you know, when you're looking at fall weed control, it's, you know, you're not going to see the symptomology. The plants are going to, you know, stay there. It's not like you it, you go out there six weeks later, it's going to be like you never sprayed anything on them. They're just going to be sitting there. Leaves aren't going to be twisted or anything like that, depending on what time of year you spray. Like now, you know, if you spray in September, you'll see it. Yeah. But, uh, but if you get in later on, you won't really see it. But I guarantee that you'll be able to pick out all your spray misses uh, just like this situation. So in this situation, we used a, uh, this was distinct plus uh, plus glyphosate uh, versus just the uh, the nice sprayer frozen boom section. And right. so there's a couple of things that, uh, that we can talk about, you know, with the temperatures. Um, but maybe if we go just to the next one, Jay, um, you know, so the grower went in planted his corn crop, sprayed his pre-emerge herbicides on his corn, you know, came back in with a glyphosate uh, in crop as well. So did a, you know, residual up front in his corn, uh, cleaned it up at the seven, eighth leaf stage of corn. And after harvest, that spring, that second spring after application, you could still see all those mm -hmm. strips of, of dandelion in that, that field. So, you know, it's, you know, you spray it once, you know, it's not going to eliminate, it's not going to get 100% weed control. But for some of these problem weeds, the, the dandelions, the south thistle, this is really the best time to uh, to control them. And I think, you know, fall weed control wasn't really all that popular a few years ago. Um, but I think with Canada fleabane coming to Ontario, now growers are really starting to see the benefit of fall weed control. Um, mm -hmm. Fleabane's driving that, but also the, the reduction in tillage. Uh, we're seeing more of these these perennial weeds and, and uh, tougher to control. And, and we always get complaints, you know, how come, you know, that the glyphosate's too slow, it's not really dying down, or some of the contact herbicides are just kind of burning the top off of the perennials and, the, and they regrow in the spring. And the fall is, is always the best time to control them. So, so two things. Someone probably is going to comment that weeds can't get resistant to iron. And okay, fine, whatever. But iron also, for the most part, can do a pretty crappy job on some weeds. And dandelion is one of them. It feels yep. good to rip them out of the ground, but the darn things will just keep growing. They're not dead. You've just yeah. displaced yep. them slightly and they just go about their business continuing to grow. So yep. I've, and I know that there will be someone that argues that they can do a great job at tilling up dandelion, but no, they just they just regrow. So yep. so Jason, this is one dandelion, of course, is one that we go after on the prairies as well, post harvest yep. usually. Uh thistle is another I'm thinking of. So what about um what else are are you targeting when you're heading out after the combine? Yeah. So some of the other ones that we're after are the south thistles as well, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, Canada and uh um, but we're also looking at things like kochia um, mm -hmm. because we'll get a lot of regrowth in the fall of kochia as well. It's a little bit more difficult to control because any regrowth of kochia 
that's more or less more seed head per seed per, uh, reproductive structure, not as many leaves, yeah. but it's still important to look at controlling it. And so we're doing that, of course, with a tank mix with a glyphosate. But those are the main one. Now, um, fleabane is becoming a, a, a lot bigger issue in Manitoba. And so that's another thing that we're looking at. Um, not as much quack grass as there was anymore, just because of all the Roundup Ready corn and soybeans that we've had in rotation for years. But uh, even just, uh, you know, uh, guys are seeing a lot of regrowth of, um, of uh, annuals as well. And then just mm -hmm. trying to clean those up uh, for the next year, just to make things a little bit easier for, for seeding, especially from a, a no-till or reduced tillage uh, standpoint. Mm -hmm. Now, Okay, so you mentioned not so worried about the grass as much, but Rob, you you sent me a picture of bluegrass, and yeah. I know because I listen to the word every week, and I know that people have an issue with bluegrass as a weed. So why is this yep. such a big issue? Why do we need to be having this conversation? Yep. So annual bluegrass, I would say, you know, it's probably starting to spread because of our reduction in tillage, you know, as we shifted to more conservation tillage, um, you know, even just the, the turbo tills and stuff like that that don't really do a means of weed control. We start to see a lot more of this annual bluegrass. It's, it grows in clumps. It's more prone on heavier clay soil. So if you go down in Niagara region, Essex is bad, um, but anymore, anywhere where there's like heavier soils. And the issue is it grows as a complete mat. You spray it with glyphosate the next day it just starts to regrow and it grows in all these clumps. Mm -hmm. And in the springtime, the soil doesn't dry out, and especially on those heavier clays, the soil is not drying out. And if you try to do any type of tillage, it's just like you're, you're ripping a disc through a, a sod field and it just starts to come up in clumps and you have to kind of keep on going, you know, tilling it a little bit more. And, and it just, it just a disaster. So um, we're actually seeing uh, more activity of, of, and more, more growers, um, going after bluegrass in the fall as well. So they'll use a group 15 product, something like a, like a Zidua to control it, but spraying it with the glyphosate. We've actually had it tested to see if it is glyphosate resistant, but right. early indications yeah. is it's not. It just kind of, there's so many different growing points in that in that big clump that it just starts to, uh, to regrow. So about 60 to 80% of the annual bluegrass actually germinates September and October. So right. now with this recent moisture, we're just starting to see the, the clumps mm -hmm. and uh, the small little grass starting to emerge. I was actually at a research farm today and you have your ground, lots of moisture, and you can start to see the, uh, the, the clumps starting to form. And by next spring, it'll be a, a complete mat. So there's two different types of bluegrass. There's the annual bluegrass, which is the most popular. Um, and that's the clumps that we see, but there's some uh, of this rough stock bluegrass and the way to tell a difference is the rough stock bluegrass actually has stolons, so almost very similar to like rhizomes underneath. Um, and mm -hmm. it kind of creeps along the ground a little bit more. So, uh, but for the most part, uh, down in Essex and, and Niagara, and more so uh, up in Huron and, and Bruce County, we start to see a little bit more of this, uh, the annual bluegrass. And it's starting to spread everywhere as well. So we're getting mm -hmm. lots of comments on it. Huh, interesting. And can we blame anyone for this? Like, did somebody introduce this that we could blame? Just uh, curious. Not that, not that I know of. So I've okay. Well, well, just heavy soil. Knows. Heavy soil. So. Yeah, there you go. Um, nature always loves to, you know, yep. throw us a curveball. But you make a good point um, that as as we change practices, whether it's adding tillage, taking it away, adding, you know roundup ready crops taking them away like it is always going to shift the spectrum right to yep, yep. to something else so we've got to be scouting and on our game making sure that we're actually paying attention to what that shift is jason before i'm going to switch gears a little bit and to talk about fleabane and we'll go to a clip in a minute but you did mention kosha it i mean it's a horrible weed we have yep. to talk about it all the time and forevermore. What is the sort of most current full season plan of attack for this crop or for this weed in crop? Yeah. So obviously depending on the crop, but when we look at our longer season crops like corn and soybeans and uh, even sunflowers, which, and peas, which have 
gained some more acres as of late. Um, and those also have limitations for what products we have to use in them. So the plan is always pre-emerge, having some kind of pre-emerge up front that's going to be effective on kosher. So any dicamba products like Ingenia or Extendamax or something like the Authority, Authority Supreme type products are going to be, you know, very important for control. I've had soybeans where, uh, with one grower in particular, that he had a lot of issues with kosher. And actually, it was an extend variety. And we actually chose to go with Authority Supreme first as a pre-merge and then came back with extend and max in crop or dicamba in crop and were able to take care of the majority of those kosher that season. So, I mean, it comes back to those kind of things, being a little bit more innovative as far as looking at combinations of products, like Rob had mentioned before too, that layering. So that pre-emerge is important and then coming in with something very effective in crop as well. So I think that's the main um, attack I guess, a uh, combination of, th- of products that we're using in those uh, those different crops. Yeah. Okay. Very good. All right. Ray's got a question that's coming in, but uh, I think it fits in well to what this clip is going to introduce us to. So one of the key things, and we've talked about it tonight already, is crop competition. So we know that soil wants to grow things. It doesn't necessarily care which things it grows so long as it's covered. So uh, there has been some work here in Ontario to set up this clip a little bit. We're going to hear from Mike Cobra uh, in a soybean school, but basically figuring out if rye, uh, if you crimp rye, there's a physical uh, weed control option there but then there's the alleliopathic effect of rye as well so we're let's go to the clip uh producer jay and then we'll be talking about uh, some of the cultural controls and uh, using biology on our side i think it was 2015 clarence swanton francois tardif and myself uh, we had a, a tillage and herbicide trial uh, in the fall and uh, at one of our farm cooperator sites, they accidentally planted cereal rye into about half of our, our plots. And that turned out to be a nice blessing in disguise because the next year, anywhere where that cereal rye was, um, uh, regardless of tillage treatment, herbicide treatment, there was just less fleabane. So that kind of spawned uh, a graduate student project to look at, at that more in depth, uh, the combination of tillage and cereal rye and herbicides and its impact on glyphosate-resistant Canada fleabane. Now that was some work um, done by uh, Ted Vanny and uh, yep. uh, 2018, 2019 results. Really incredible. I just, I'm just going to go through these for a second and turn you loose on them. But in mm-hmm. 2018, cereal rye reduced biomass of Canada fleabane by 96%. And in mm-hmm. 2019, reduced biomass by 94%. That's pretty incredible. Tell us about, uh, I guess, uh, Ted's work and, and, and how this unfolded. Yeah, and what's more incredible about this, like if we can contrast that to what Jake was talking about, where you're growing like a fairly high density of cereal rye, you're crimping it and planting into it, that rye is actually serving a physical barrier. So that's kind of traditional plant competition. But we're talking about cereal rye at 50, 60 pounds an acre seeded the previous fall. So it's it's pretty sparse. And Ted's work, you know, when he looked at um, the light reaching the soil surface, uh, the presence or absence of cereal rye didn't affect light hitting the soil. So that gives you evidence that it's not plant competition that's causing the weeds to either not emerge or, or be smaller. Uh, it's allelopathy. So that's, you know, the, uh, the release of biochemicals from uh, cereal rye. And so that's something that's been looked at in the past. But Ted wanted to see if that was the cause against Canada fleabane. So, so he, you know, again, those biomass density reductions were quite quite strong um, he went into the the lab and said okay uh, we know that cereal rye produces these biochemical compounds and and the most prominent one that has activity on weeds is called BOA is like kind of the abbreviation so he went and took um, a Canada flea bean seed 
and lettuce seed, because we know lettuce is super sensitive to these compounds. And he uh, took a, a growing medium called agar. So, you know, we'll put a picture up uh, for, for the viewers to look at. And, and basically, he took uh, petri dishes with an agar medium, and then you can impregnate the chemical into that medium. So it's kind of like, it's like a clear gel-like substance. It's kind of like if anyone's familiar with jello shots, you know, that's effectively what you're doing. You're adding something potent to it, and then you're trying to grow seeds up. And so um, he found in lettuce, for example, uh, when it was grown with, in the absence of BOA, so the biochemical from rye, per grew perfectly well. And then as you started to increase the rate of BOA, uh, you saw reductions in shoot and root growth. And he was able to see that very much in fleabane as well. So the biochemical release from cereal rye caused uh, a reduction in fleabane growth um, so quite significantly. How does my cobra get jello shots into a soybean school? But the man does it. It's amazing. Okay, before we dig into this fleabane discussion and cereal rye, the superpower apparently, uh, another shout out to our show sponsors, to Adama Canada, to Decisive Farming, and of course, so the two clips you've seen tonight are from our soybean school. Uh, for all of our agronomic content dedicated to soy production, go to soybeanschool.com. And special thanks, of course, to our soybean school sponsors, Syngenta Canada, Pride Seeds, and BASF. All right, so let's dig into it. Cereal rye, miracle. Yes, Rob. What do we think? I I really like it so far. I think uh, you know we've seen a shift from annual ryegrass to cereal rye, which is great because yeah. um, annual ryegrass was so hard to control in the spring and it overwintered and the herbis you know glyphosate was pretty it was pretty tolerant to glyphosate uh, you know after it started joining, and I think you know cereal rye has definitely shown some promise and and it's it's very interesting with cereal rye like it the yellow Eleopathic effects is really only a with you see it with cereal rye on Canada fleabane. We don't see it with winter barley. We don't see it with winter wheat. We don't do not see it with oats. Um, our cover crop oats is just full of fleabane right now. So it's it's something interesting. And and as Mike said, you know you don't really have to use a whole lot. Like they were using pretty low seeding rates as a cover crop. It's easy to kill. Um, you know I I really like seeing that and uh, you know anything to get away from the uh, the annual ryegrass as well but I think you know this is something that that growers should look at as part of their integrated pest management approach to control some of these weeds mm -hmm. and have that crop crop cover as well so you get the benefit of the the soil cover right. and and the weeds control as well so it's a win-win mm -hmm. I just want to know when can we get BOA in a bottle then because if we know what it is <laughs> Come on, guys, get synthesizing this stuff. You shouldn't yeah. have said that, Lindsay, because now some company is going to come out with something of BOA in a bottle. Right. Well, I I said it here first, so I would get royalties, right? Isn't that how it works? <laughs> um, okay. No, but I mean, good point though, Rob, in that this is cereal rye, which we have some different options for rye as cover crops. Some of them work better in the system than others. Um, but it does bring up two points. One of which is, yes, there is that physical competition. So, you've, I mean, we know that a healthy crop, optimal plant density, intercepting light, that is what's going to grow in your field. Uh, but you make room for weeds and they'll take it. So there's that. But then we knew, we do know that. And the alleliopathy can impact the following crop as well, right? Corn doesn't like rye. Right, Rob? Yep. Yeah, correct. Corn, yeah. you always tend to get a little bit of a yield drag. You can overcome it by adding a, more nitrogen, um, but yeah. there is there is a little but there bit is there. Drag. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So just no. Um, yeah, because Jason, rye is rye isn't rare necessarily in Manitoba. Just not necessarily used in the cover crop sense. It's its own crop. Yeah, for the most part, it's its own crop, and especially become a little bit more yeah. popular with more hybrid fall rye, mm -hmm. so winter rye. Yep. Um, and that kind of fluctuates based on the marketing of it. But the, uh, I, I like the fact that Mike talked about that population. So mm -hmm. guys that have been using fall rye as more of a cover crop are the potato growers south of us. And even the dry okay, bean yep. guys were, they're planting it just to keep the dirt from blowing. And yep. here, and that's all it's used. But here's another opportunity, especially in those rotations where we have limited weed control options and have resistance and different weeds like pigweed and things like that, that 
they could be using this. And uh, there's been a lot of work done at NDSU at the Carrington station with uh, Greg Endries there, where they've been looking at a combination of fall rye and termination of it as a weed control measure with dry beans. And okay. it pretty much mirrors exactly what, what Mike was showing there. Yep. Okay. Very cool. Um, and we all appreciate rye in its liquid form. Okay. So I have two, two things because we're rapidly running out of time here and Ray asked a good question, but I'm going to twist it a little bit, Ray, with your permission. Actually, I'm not asking permission. I'm just going to do it. I'm the host. I can. Um, so his, his full question is given the weeds discussed so far, what should be top of mind this fall and what is the, what should you prepare for in the spring? So so tillage, crop and sequence, next options. I'm going to twist that just a little bit. And I'm going to put to the two of you, have you ever had a weed problem in the fall so terrible or on a certain field that you've actually advised a grower to switch the following crop? So if they had planned to go into wheat, say, no, you've got to go to something else. Or if they had planned to go into beans, Ray says he's already twisted, so go for it. Excellent. Um, <laughs> but has there ever been a problem weed where you're like, we need to change our crop rotation to get a hold of this weed. Yep. Okay. Yeah. What, I would say what so. has that been? Um, I guess the first thing that comes to mind for me is uh, buckwheat. So yeah. not something we've talked about here right now tonight, but um, yeah. where we've had issues with it escaping and just setting a lot of seed and, you know, grower wanting to grow, um, maybe a, a canola the next year or something else where we had to turn and look at using something else or maybe a Roundup Ready soybean or, or actually maybe even a cereal where we maybe have some more choice of products that have more activity on that buckwheat. Mm -hmm. Okay. Rob, how about for you? You only have three crops to choose from really. So. Oh, oh well, I was going to say we, we often get it with the horticulture crops because they have some of these problem uh, yeah. weeds here and, and you yeah. have to be a little bit more cautious with which products you put in the fall. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if you are going to grow some of these sensitive crops in the spring. Um, but I would say for the most part, a lot of it is, you know, trying to talk a person out of using IP soybeans. They, they want to use grow IP soybeans, but they have a bunch of resistant weeds or they have some of these, you know, looking at, um, you know, planting green, or going after something like a problem weed, like alfalfa or something like that, you know, where there's not too many options in, in IP soybeans yeah. or dry beans mm -hmm. to control it. So a lot of times it's, it's, you know, trying to use some of the herbicide tolerant soybeans to, to give you a little bit more flexible options. Yep. Mm -hmm. I like it. Excellent answers. Okay. One other thing and shout out to Gord Specksnyder for, he couldn't be on the broadcast tonight, but he really had a great question and he even sent me a photo ahead of time. So I will let everyone know who's watching. That is an option. If during the day you have a question that occurs to you and you want me to tackle it on the show, send it along uh, because this is a lot of fun. So Jay, if you could bring up Gord's question is um, dealing with fleabane in say red clover that he's put in after so he put that into his wheat so this is after the wheat's come off he's got some beautiful stuff there or even cover crops in general rob how do you make the call on i mean are there actually options i'm gonna guess anything that works on the fleabane works on everything else that you're trying to keep there so how do you make the call on taking it out leaving it in controlling weeds especially something like fleabane that can really get ahead of you yeah. yeah, so it's it's a great question, and uh, and I think uh, it all depends on what your fall crop is. So if you're going back into corn, you know you do have a few more options for fleabane. Um, but what's your plan for the clover? Are you looking at terminating it? Um, you know, trying to terminate it. You know, get as much root mass as you can through October, and looking at terminating in in November. Um, you know, if you're growing. IP soybeans or uh, or maybe dry beans or something, probably not with red clover uh, in that rotation. But, you know, what what's that next crop and what are some of the options there? Um, if And what's the density? Is it only the odd plant or is it spread throughout the field? Because uh, we all know with Canada fleabane, you know, one plant produces uh, a few hundred thousand seeds and, you know, it's going to, one plant will turn into a small patch next year and then two years from now mm -hmm. it'll turn into a really large patch. So, we do have a couple options here. You know, MCPA would probably be the only one that you can actually use that's that's safe on the clover. But if you're going to be coming in in, you know, two weeks anyways with a glyphosate and dicamba, another group four, you know, that and rotating it back into corn, 
that might be you know a, a better option but it depends on when you're looking at terminating it and uh and but we do have some options there thing is with mcpa it's not great on canafleabane like you're only going to look at you know 60 percent control and when you look at some of the canafleabane at this time of year that plant's already set seed and yeah. sometimes we're trying to control a you know a two or three foot tall plant so we got to make sure we set the proper expectations it's going to start to set seed anyways especially once we start to get a frost so you know, I think, uh, you know, look at your different options. If it's only the odd plant, then I would be uh, more prone to use a glyphosate and dicamba, you know, and terminate it in, in mid-October. We do get a few of these questions, um, you know, a lot of red clover with perennial sow thistle. And I actually had a number of growers call me and say, well, we have so many issues with perennial sow thistle. I have cover, I have clover there. You know, what do I do? I, I want to hold on to the benefits of the, uh, of the clover. Um, but I'm, I'm an IP soybean grower and I want to have dry beans in there. You know, do I just bite the bullet? And for the most part, I told them, you know, if you can't spot spray it with an ATV, you know, something like perennial south thistle, it's a two to three year rotation to try to actually get on top of it. So, right. um, yeah. and it starts in the fall with your, with your best option. So, you know, you, you might have to sacrifice, you know, the clover a couple of weeks early if you, do have some of these problem weeds and you do have more specialty crops in that rotation. Mm -hmm. um, I'm hoping that Gord, right after he took this picture, ripped the plant out. Um, <laughs> but that's just me because yep. yep. that's how I take revenge on weeds is yep. I like to pull them. I know it's yep. not really doing anything on the big picture, but I feel better. And that's also important. Uh, Dr. And Dave, Dave Hooker, Dave Hooker said, yep. says, he said, yeah, mow it, mow it. It. that's an option. Just depends on how yep. big the field is as well. So. <laughs> yeah, or the area, because uh, fuel is very expensive too. Okay, so that that if we're going across the field, we're probably only going once. Uh, and hello to Warren, who has hopped on but late. Thanks for joining us. Uh, okay, so we've got a few minutes left, Jason. I want to go to you and talk about Palmer amaranth. I mean, we could probably, honestly, we could do a whole show on Palmer amaranth easily, but. I want to hit on it very quickly for a couple of reasons. One, to sort of wrap up this episode, and and I echo Ray's comments very much. I, I love that tonight we have talked very much about, yes, herbicide strategies, but each of you have hit on the true integrated pest management of making sure we're thinking big picture. But one of the key things I think that maybe we haven't hit on enough is proper identification and mm -hmm. testing for resistance if we think we have a resistance problem. So we did talk a bit about on, that on water hemp of making sure we know what we're looking at. Uh, but but producer Jay, if you could bring up the photos that uh, Jason sent with Palmer Amaranth, I think these are from last fall. Yep. Found? Yeah, so I, I can't confirm where it is, but there certainly um, has been discussion about some other sightings in Manitoba this yeah. fall as well uh but so the bottom there so so tell me about where this is and if you've seen any since yeah so i have not seen anything since and neither has my agronomist there that's in the picture to the right uh carly um this was in a, a black bean field last year and uh what we suspect is that it came in the millet seed that mm. that the producer had grown there the year before i mean there could be other you know, uh, opportunities for it to spread. But we do know that I think it was in 2019 that North Dakota had a, an outbreak of Palmer because they had a lot of uh, um, unseeded acres that went to, uh, you know, uh, yeah, seed to millet just to kind of get the ground covered. And they were pulling it from all sort different sources, mainly from South Dakota and Nebraska, and not only, not necessarily all pure seed. So what they found was there was a lot of Palmer that came in with that seed. So this is a very, very uh, hardcore um, millet grower. And so he's, he's very selective and very sure on where he's getting a seed from. This particular seed of millet came from Colorado actually, but that's still not, you know, it only takes one seed, you know, to get things started. And uh, this was the male plant. And actually, Carly did find a female plant not too far away. So we know it just takes that, that one plant. And in a, in a system like this, uh, dry bean, that's not very competitive. And with the herbicide system being limited, um, that plant survived. And it did well because we were in a drought. 
last year. Mm-hmm. And Palmer originates from, I think, the deserts in uh, Arizona. So it loves dry. It can, it can manage that. And so, you know, we saw that developing and uh, we, so back to your comment too, the, the key was it's a noxious weed in Manitoba, just like water hemp is. So mm-hmm. we should be as agronomists and growers, not be afraid to take these to those industry specialists like Kim Brown at Manitoba yeah. Agriculture to get them properly identified, to get them sent in to verify if they have herbicide resistance and those kind of things, because the more data we get, the better we can look at to handle these because we inherently figure that um, these varieties are, or these weeds are bringing in resistance with them, whether it be group nine and, and two or more, because uh, they obviously did not originate here. So those are yeah. some of the things that we've learned from this. And so that's another thing that we're, you know, continuing to look out for. Mm-hmm. And to echo that, Jason, for sure. I mean, I think there can be a sense of like, I don't want anyone to know that it's on my field or whatever, but you're exactly right. We need to know that it's here or where it is. We need to be able to have more people identify it. And yeah, there. it's important that we know these things because, I mean, just tonight's conversation, but the more you dig into some of these weeds, they are really, really difficult to get ahead of. So, yeah. uh, you and know, ignorance is not bliss at all. No, and we talk about uh, water hemp being a dioecious plant. So is Palmer. If you thought water hemp was, let's say, your um, mother-in-law, um, Palmer, that was water hemp. Palmer would be, I don't know, the closest thing to Satan, I guess, if you were right. to think about okay. it. Because it's yeah. just, it's, it's that much worse as far as uh, rate of growth, as far as, you know, seed set, everything that goes along with it, as long as, uh, as, as well as the herbicide resistance. Yeah. All of those things. Rob's not going to say anything because he loves his mother-in-law. Um, yeah, okay. So, <laughs> there you go. Uh, Michael has a good question, bringing it back a bit to this rye. So kosha with group two, four and nine resistant kosha. Will rye give any kosher control in rotation? So have you seen any impact of having rye in rotation on kosher? Trying to think. Because I can't say that I have any data to support that. No, and I know we do have growers that are growing fall rye. I don't know. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, Yeah. unfortunately, I don't have So Michael, what I would suggest is... Yeah, I would suggest, Michael, grow it and let us know Um, because it might. And if we know, then we all learn together. Um, My coworker, Kara, enjoys that Palmer Amaranth is Satan. Um, If somebody could get drawing a caricature of Palmer Amaranth with horns and a pokey stick, that would be great if somebody could do that. Um, All right. Okay. We are running out of time. Uh, Rob, I'll go to you. Uh, reminders for and sort of to raise question or comment before what do you prioritize in the fall what's your plan of attack for in terms of weed control you know problem weeds the perennial weeds you know that the south thistles which has become an increasing issue you know make sure you have the glyphosate in there make sure you use multiple modes of effective action south thistle we didn't really talk about it too much but tillage is one of those ones where it just breaks up the rhizomes and it turns one shoot into two and that just seems to double and those patches just get larger and larger so that would probably be the uh the the main priority this this time of year you know chickweed's fairly easy to control um you know but the the flea bane as well um and even in terms of wheat we use a soil apply residual herbicide in our corn we use it in Soybeans, we should also consider, um, you know, making sure the wheat is off to a, a clean mm-hmm. start possible uh, because a lot of these harvest aids, we're no longer allowed to use glyphosate. So that's where we're missing out on some of that perennial weed control. So yeah. that's that's take home message. Control your uh, your your perennials. And then it also buys you a little bit more time and flexibility and not spraying, uh, uh, you know, the rush. The spring rush is always very busy. Uh, we're always concerned on cold temperatures. Um, you know, mixtures, herbicides, fungicides, PGRs, all that type of stuff. So if you can eliminate that that early pass and and uh, delay it a little bit more without having to decrease that urgency to get in the field, uh, that you're setting yourself up for success. But again, crop uh, anything you can do to get that crop to the best to canopy as quick as possible, starter fertilizer, um, you know, various row width. That's going to be your best method of weed control. Yep. 
Simplify. I like it. Keep well for the spring. Simplify the spring. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you can. And you know what? We could do a whole other show on taking glyphosate out as a pre-harvest aid and how that is already shifting some of these conversations. So, mm-hmm. uh-huh. We'll leave it there because we don't have another hour because it's nine o'clock in Ontario and I get up at five. But <laughs> I will say it is definitely a conversation that we will have. Um, and so, yeah. So thank you. Jason, and thank you, Rob, for joining me. This has been a lot of fun and so much learning, and I really appreciate both your perspectives on this. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Alrighty, and thank you, of course, to everyone watching and commenting and following along and your great questions and comments. We really appreciate it. A reminder, of course, that you can head on over to realagriculture.com slash agronomist to get your CEU credits. And a last thank you to our show sponsors, The Soybean School, Adama Canada, and Decisive Farming by TELUS Agriculture. Next week, do I have a topic yet? I don't know. Send me ideas. We're always looking for some. Uh, But I'll be back here, of course, 8 p.m. Eastern on Monday. We'll see you then. Bye, everybody.